You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcoming you to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Uh, This is a very special episode. I am recording live at the third annual Mount Aloysius College Charity Comic Book Convention. Um, And I'm very thankful to the uh, organizer of this convention, Dr. Jess Jost Costanzo, my my colleague, my wonderful colleague in the English department here at the Mount. Um, She offered me a slot uh, during the presentation space to uh, record a, a live show about something. This year's theme is villains. And so I thought it would be really interesting to uh, talk about a book that reconceives Superman a little bit. Um, It's an alternative history book um, in which Superman's pod reaches Earth about 12 hours later, which means he lands in the Soviet Union instead of uh, uh, Kansas. And so he grows up as a communist uh, superhero. I happen to have his hammer and sickle t-shirt on right now and uh and so we're gonna have lots of fun joining me today for this show um by the way we have a live audience uh say hello live audience just so people at home believe me (laughs) yeah there they are see they're really here a live audience um and they're gonna ask some questions answer some questions and ask some questions um at the end here um but joining me today on the the front of the end episode is chris maverick of the vox popcast how you doing chris i'm good hi how's it going good good chris um Ever, you've been on this show before, but why don't you tell us just a little bit about what you, uh, who you are and what you do on your podcast and in your life. I am a year PhD student at Duquesne University. <laughs> They're all year yeah, PhD that's right. students. Yeah. <laughs> I, my field is uh, 20th century uh, American literature. Specifically, I work with mid to late 20th century, early 21st century popular culture. My dissertation specifically is on comic books and comic book superheroes, but I work also a lot with movies, with television shows, professional wrestling, music sometimes. Professional wrestling, yes, fits in as as popular culture. I was a professional wrestler briefly for this a while. Is, I was hoping you get to that, yes. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I also do a lot with internet culture, which is how I started hosting my own podcast, and that's the Vox Popcast that you mentioned, and I'm a big comic book nerd. Big, big comic <laughs> book nerd. Um, and you do that with Wayne Wise, who was actually on this show last year. From this location From this last location year. last year. <laughs> Wayne, unfortunately, had another obligation this week, so he couldn't be here. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining me, Chris. I will also be sitting in, uh, just sort of helping out on your podcast. He's also going to record, record a live show here this later afternoon. today. So um, listeners uh, and folks in the audience, if you're not subscribed to uh, Vox Popcast, please go do that. It's a lot of fun. I listen to it every week. It's uh, They do great, great stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's like uh, the best parts of grad school without all the, the yeah. annoying people, sort of, right? Our, our, our theory was every show should be a cross between a, an academic conference roundtable like this and a conversation at a bar. So, yes. <laughs> so we, we might talk about, let's see, last week we did, um, so, hold on, last week, if you've listened already, <laughs> we did a show on Halloween costumes and whether they were too sexy or not and the, the logic behind it. 
the week before that we did slasher movies we did um and and i don't remember when i'm losing track of the order i know we did one week where we broke down the controversy over whether Bert and Ernie the Muppets were gay and we and and by doing this I mean we had we had a friend of mine who is a gender studies scholar and who works specifically with queer theory a lot and we had another friend of mine who's just a gay guy who grew up watching Sesame Street and then we had a conversation about it for an hour next week we're doing um Oh, we're doing monsters in popular culture, and we talk about we talk in depth, or we did because we recorded it already. Talk in depth about the Twilight <laughs> um, film series and book and book series. So that's, yeah, that's the show. It's I can imagine how much cooler school would be if your classes were like these podcasts, right? <laughs> so that's what uh, this is the point of doing this kind of thing. So I, I'm very grateful for uh, Chris to show up early uh, in order to start recording. He's here in plenty of time. Not at all 30 seconds before we started recording. And so I'm um, very happy to see him. So this is a really cool comic book. It's written by Mark Millar, I think is how he pronounces yeah. his last name. Millar, Millar, Mark Millar, creator of the Millarverse. If you've, yeah. his other things that are well known, he he's has, has had a lot of things that have been transferred into movies. So if you've seen the films Kingsman, either the Kingsman movies or um, either the Kick-Ass movies, it's the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, we try to avoid swearing on this show. because that's the, the name of the book. That's the name of the book, so <laughs> Apple can't really get me for that one. So it's okay. Um, so we're used to uh, Superman. We think of this. Right? That's kind of the uh, iconic uh, Superman theme song. And uh, this book asks the question very simply, what if his theme song instead... This was working so much better before I did this. Uh, what if his theme song instead sounded like this? An ad from YouTube, of course. <laughs> what if his theme song sounded like this? Which is, of course, the Soviet national anthem. And so there's a really cool uh, premise to this book. Um, so I already kind of uh, given the idea that we will spoil the plot for those of you who haven't read it. Um, it's kind of necessary to have these kind of conversations. Um, but the idea is that it's just asking a basic what if. And apparently this was inspired by uh, an actual storyline, Superman 300 or something yeah. like that, um, that they kind of teased this question and Mark Millar was obsessed with it and he ended up writing this uh it this, uh, they teased it. It was a comic that he read as a teenager or or preteen when that came out, and he became obsessed with it. So once he got a chance to write for the company years later, he kept pitching it over and over again till eventually they're like, "All right, fine, just <laughs> just do it." And that's that's where Red Sun comes from. Yeah, and the idea is simply that uh, Superman's uh, and as. Theoretically, it would be very easy to imagine happening if his uh, pod had, had crashed in the Soviet in Ukraine instead of uh, instead of Kansas, and uh, and he ends up uh, becoming this sort of um, uh, public uh, face of communism for Stalin, <laughs> and he ends up uh, succeeding Stalin after his death mm -hmm. and actually creating a communist utopia over all of the earth except the United States, essentially. We should clarify what the Elseworlds series is. Oh, yeah, please do. Yeah, so Else, this was an Elseworld comic. DC had a series of comics starting, retroactively starting in the 80s, but originally starting in the very early 90s called the Elseworlds imprint. And the idea of Elseworlds was they take their most popular superheroes, usually Batman. Um, <laughs> it was... 
there were many, many, many Elseworld comics about Batman. There were other people as well. Red Sun is one of them. But the idea was I w- we will take a DC, an established DC character, and we will present an alternate universe account wherein some some detail is changed and then we're just going to explore how the world uh, how the world gets built from built from there so in the case of red sun the ship lands 12 hours late in in um in communist um that's communist russia communist soviet union at the time in the case of uh, so the very first ones is one called gotham by gaslight gotham by gaslight is exactly batman exactly as you know it except for it takes place a couple hundred years early and he ends up chasing Jack the River. Um, one of my all-time favorites is, um, much like Red Sun, is called Justice League The Nail. And that is a universe where there's a nail in the road in Smallville that gives Jonathan Kent a flat tire 15 minutes before the um, rocket lands with, Super- with Superman in it. So what ends up happening is you have to, like, he never gets there to the side of the rocket ship and the government gets the baby instead mm-hmm. and they just lock him away for 30 years because it's the it's an alien and what would you do if you were an alien, if you found an alien as the government? So Superman never comes to be. He's Superman is just this alien being experimented on and it's a look at the rest of the universe of, of, of superheroes without Superman to inspire them. And things like that. So they're so they're all just one little detail tw- detail tweaked. Um, what if the what if is what they called them in Marvel in the Marvel universe? But the Elseworld stories tend to be very very historic um, details like that. Yeah, and the I remember the what if comics. I used to get those all the time, and they were all very one off and kind of right light light in turn in mostly yeah uh these are very kind of heavy and philosophical like they sound like right and so uh these are like a much more serious of those versions of those what if comics Mm -hmm. comics from uh from spider-man what if spider-man had joined the fantastic four i think right yeah 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 yeah, they're usually the ones in in marvel the what if comics very much were pinnacle moments like what if this battle went a different way you know they're they're parts of the marvel universe whereas it, it it very much is a philosophical question with the elseworlds um either moving you into a different place in time or or having some major world shattering real history event not take place like you maybe you'll change the history of i mean this this moment changes the history of the soviet union and the united states um over the course of time because superman landed there instead of here Forgetting the fact that Superman didn't really land here either, but that's but that's the premise the book takes. Yeah, yeah, and it's a uh, uh, it changes lots of things. And one of the things I want to talk about is this book has a, a certain cheekiness to it as well, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of exaggerations <laughs> that are almost seem to be there strictly for humor sake, right, and not necessarily logically derived from the change of the historical timeline. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about that. But not only are these alternative stories like a tradition in comic books. This is a tradition in literature as well. Uh, there's a Philip K. Dick's The Man in the High Castle mm-hmm. is a very famous uh, version of this, and there's an Amazon series that's been kind of inspired by that. It's what if the Axis won the World War II, and the United States is sort of divided in half between Japan and, and Nazi Germany, and there's a, a new kind of bipolar conflict then uh, that derives out of that. And then um, and one of my favorites, actually, uh, I have to recommend this. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show before, is Michael Shabon, who's a terrific, um, one of the great sort of Jewish American novelists of our day, he uh, wrote this book called The Yiddish Policeman's Union, which is basically what if 
basically the state of Israel fails after the Six Day War, and all the Jews in the world are confined to this little place in Alaska. And uh, and there's this uh, murder mystery that is, uh, results from that. And so alternative histories are an interesting form in mm-hmm. their in in their own right. And so uh, outside of comics, like what purpose do they play for you, Chris? It's it, it, it's it's a very odd thing because it's not a it's not a genre that I always specifically gravitate to, which which is to say, I, I think what makes an alternative history interesting is that it's not a genre in and of itself. It can work anywhere. Obviously, this is one, and the one that I was thinking of before you said Yiddish Policeman's Union, which I've not read, even though I've read all of Chabin's other books. Yeah. It's the one I haven't gotten to. Um, there's um, Inglorious Bastards oh, by yeah. um, by Quentin Tarantino. Is the the change is what if we just sent a small a small cadre of men to kill Hitler and their entire universe changes because of that. So that's um, so there's things like that. I like the idea of. I'm, a, I'm also not a science fiction buff. People think that I am because of what I because I do so much with pop culture. I read a lot of stuff and I watch a lot of films, but. Science fiction in and of itself is not my favorite genre. I like the idea of storylines within genre, and I think of speculative, speculative science fiction of of alternate histories as a meta genre that can affect anything. So this is an alter, this is interesting because it's not not just because it's a change to the history, but because it's the change to the history and how does that affect the world of superheroes. Um, Inglorious Bastards is interesting to me because it's a change to the history and how does that affect the very odd I, I like to think that Quentin Tarantino at this point is his own genre. <laughs> that's, that's a good way <laughs> and, to and I and I think that you end up with this situation of because there's 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 definitely a feel to the Tarantino film of Pulp Fiction or of Reservoir Dogs or of Jackie Brown everything. And Inglorious Bastards is very specifically odd inside that world. He says that all the films are linked. Anyway, yeah. um, so so I guess Hitler was murdered in the Pulp Fiction <laughs> world, and just nobody talks about it because that, I don't randomly bring up conversations of people who were murdered 50 oh, years ago. That's interesting. So. Well, and it's an inherent, like, there's a little nerdy English uh, theory lesson for everybody here who, who cares so much about this stuff, but it's an inherent feature of postmodernism is to um, do this kind of world building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one kind of way I've understood the difference between modernist literature and postmodern literature is that modernist literature is concerned with the way that we perceive the world. The text, yeah. yeah, and postmodern literature is concerned with the way the nature of the world itself, right? And so it asks these questions where the author becomes God instead of a God <laughs> and, and characters fight with the people who are writing them and that sort of thing. And it asks these kind of metaphysical questions. And this Subgenre, the style, let's call it, yeah. um, fits neatly into kind of postmodern literature. Yeah, it literature. works really well with, with. I'm trying to think of, of other good examples. There are, it, it, it ends up working. I feel like Margaret Atwood did one too, and I can't think of what though. Is it Handmaid's Tale? Is um, well, Handmaid's well, Tale is not really an alternate history though. Just speculative. <laughs> I feel like know? she has one, and I can't, and yet I'm blanking on it. But it doesn't matter. Well, oh. in this world, let's uh, let's get to the yeah. Move uh, on to the actual thing. Yeah, I don't. Um, by the way, I have noticed that Chris knows that he can't swear on my show, so he's very <laughs> uh, purposefully referencing titles that have swear words in them. I don't don't think I don't know what you're doing. I only said um, one. <laughs> I just said the one movie. <laughs> and, so, and so when I was on his show, I actually swore too, just because I could. <laughs> 
good. So, um, but anyway, the uh, uh, the second thing, one thing that this story does really interestingly is revise characters. Uh, yeah, and so they all have kind of different origin stories, um, and they kind of come out of different places. There is a Batman, there is a Wonder Woman, there is a Green Lantern, most well, notably. Right? Yeah, there's a Green Lantern. Well, so the Green Lantern one is the most interesting. It's, it's one. most interesting. <laughs> we should get so we should get save those. But uh, before we go with the ones who are obvious, there's an obvious Batman. There's an obvious Wonder Woman. Um, there's an obvious Green Lantern. There's also an appearance by um, The Flash and by Green Arrow, which are very subtle. They're just guys who are hanging out at the newspaper because for some reason, the lack of an existence of a... Like, we don't know how, but there's... But um, Oliver Queen is in this book as a guy hanging out of the Daily Planet who does not appear to obviously be the Green Arrow because enough of a, you know a pebble in the in the in the in the in the pond happens and there's enough ripple effects that i guess that just never happens in their world yeah so there so and it and Barry Allen does not obviously appear to be the flash it's not explained why they're just not superheroes and yet they do somehow meet Lois Lane and Perry White and are hanging out at and that, that is one thing that annoys me about this book. I know we have a couple of people who've read this book, and they had agreed to be my um, guests on this show in case you never showed up. Actually, <laughs> ten, 20 minutes before we started recording, I saw them in the con. And uh, But uh, one thing that is kind of annoys me about this book a little bit is that it doesn't take too seriously the world building no. it just sort of randomly changes things just to well we changed one thing let's change a bunch of other things there's no real causation or connection between but, those two and and for me so this, so so I find this I find this interesting because this is this gets back to your original question about what works about the idea of alternate histories the way we usually tell a alternate alternate history tale as we say, um, and this is the the premise of all the else worlds. If we change this one detail, then show me the cause and effect chain. Yeah. If this, then this, then this, then this, then this. So I, so how do I get from A to Z? And I must follow B, C, D, E, E, F, G all yeah. the way, and I must see every step. The world doesn't really work like that, and yeah. this is and this is this is where you get into that cross between the the question of modernism and postmodernism in real life. Something happens. I was born at some point in. I, I was born at some point in the seventies. I met my wife at some point in the nineties. We got married in the two thousands. That's like I can I can define those three key points. I cannot tell you that if I had happened to trip and fall in third grade, I might not have met my wife. Maybe I wouldn't. Have, I mean, like maybe there's some causal chain that I can I can tell you something very specifically like. If I had never gone to Carnegie Mellon University, I would have never moved to Pittsburgh, which is where I met her. So that probably would have stopped it. But are there other, you know, if I had happened to have had a different best friend in first grade, would that have changed my life such that I didn't get into? I don't know. Like, I cannot necessarily follow every chain like that. So I think it makes sense to not have certain things explained because we don't expect that sort of thing. And we don't we don't question how does Superman meet Lois Lane and Lex Luthor in the original narrative. Yeah. We only question it in the alternate narrative. And, and so it's a weird thing that I think Millar is, I don't want to say he's a good enough writer to know to ignore it. I think it's that he really wanted to have Barry Allen and, and Oliver <laughs> Queen in the book, so he just tossed them in. It's playful, right? Yeah. It's more playful than than intellectual, and which is its own. I mean, I'm, that's not a bad thing. No, right? I, I, yeah, yeah. But. I, I think that some. I think that there is a certain sense of Easter eggness yeah, to yeah, something yeah. like this. Yeah. 
if you uh, last year I gave a talk here about the nature of multiple continuities, and I th I think that one thing that's interesting is if I watch um, again I'm a big comic book nerd I watch every comic book TV show and I and and film and they they will toss a movie out there and there will be background characters who have the names of you know oh this is suddenly some person from the comics it's an Easter egg it doesn't matter. If my wife, who doesn't watch comic books, doesn't read comics books, goes to one of those movies with me and they mention offhand, you know, some other character, she just doesn't notice and she doesn't care as long as it doesn't distract from the narrative. So it doesn't. So it's just an Easter egg that's there. And I think it's fun. I don't know that everything has to have a purpose, particularly when you're building a film as a product to a pre-established uh, a film or a text as a product to a pre-established audience. And so the motivations of why he did this is you know just perhaps for sheer playfulness mm -hmm. but he did create these characters in new and interesting ways um let me start with batman yes. um batman exists in soviet union in this case um as a kind of dissident uh like rebellion uh figurehead and so he um has a very similar kind of origin story stalin's illegitimate son peter who's the uh kind of head of the kgb or something like that pete ross. um he um yeah he, he that's again easter egg that's pete ross who is a classic superman oh um super super boy supporting character oh holy cow i did not even yeah. pick up on that that's amazing yeah so he, <laughs> i've read this book several times <laughs> in the uh in the uh so in this continuity he actually is the one who kills batman's parents because they're political dissidents and he kills them in front of him and batman is then inspired to become batman based on that Mm -hmm. And he's this kind of like um, just sort of uh, like spy figure, basically. Yeah. He's like a terrorist. Counter, for the yeah, counter-Soviet yeah. terrorist. Yeah. Um, freedom fighter. Yeah. And so Gotham City assume, presumably still exists um, and presumably has even worse crime since America is kind of a hellhole in this story. Well, and so you would think Batman would also... <laughs> have produced been produced by American right. conditions. There, In this case he's produced by political conditions well, and not economic and ones. And that's the yeah. and that's the weird thing about the the loosey goosey way that yeah, um, yeah. that Millar plays with the continuity. There is no reason for there is there is a causal reason that um, Lois Lane ends up being with Lex Luthor. They are married in this text because she never she never meets Clark Kent and therefore apparently meets Lex Luthor instead. And so that makes sense. There's a there's a logic to that. There is no logical reason why Bruce Wayne and Lana Lang, both of whom in the original continuities, and Pete Ross are Americans. Um, Superman's ship crashing in the on the wrong continent should not affect where they grew up. Yeah, there is no. But the narrative needs there to be a Batman in the Soviet <laughs> Union, so there is. And I think ultimately, I'd like to do this on my show is like ask when I can. Um, big kind of religious metaphysical, metaphysical questions, and I know um, Mav is not a religious person, <laughs> but but he plays along nicely with yeah. this. But um, I do think that um, it's interesting. I think Millar conceives of Superman as an inherently inherently religious figure, yeah. as a Jesus figure, wherever, and that's how he kind of conceives. Many of the Elseworlds books do, by the way. Yeah. Okay. If you if you haven't read the Nail, read the Nail. Well, and that's why <laughs> when you said that, I'd never heard of that, but the Nail is obviously a symbol for the crucifixion, and, uh, so, and, yeah. and, and, and that yeah. matters later. Yeah. I, I, okay. No spoilers. That yeah. that does matter later in the book as well. Okay. When you mentioned that, I, that's where my mind initially went, mm -hmm. and so um, and so anyway, the um, the idea that Superman just kind of because of his metaphysical power, mm -hmm. um, draws 
these kinds of figures to him wherever he is. Is the, I think that, that the reason that all this stuff changes has more to do with the kind of a religious imagination that this story has. I think that's certainly intentional on Millar's part. Again, I've read much of his other work as well. Um, and if you get farther, I don't, want to, I don't want to leave the characters yet, but if you get farther along into the, the novel or the graphic novel that is Red Sun, it becomes more and more evident that he's doing that with some of the sacrifices. That I mean, Superman becomes the savior figure for sure. Very yeah. much like I mean, there's no other way to read his ultimate his yeah. ultimate downfall and rebirth. I guess yeah. sort of that happens in the book is essentially Millar's version of and here's my Messiah. Let's let's play with that. So there's no there's no other way to see it. It's a it's an interesting death and resurrection like narrative, and we're jumping way ahead to the mm -hmm. religion thing. I want to kind of get that in, so we'll hold off on that. Does someone have a question? Justin. Parts of it, I don't know how much. The first episode features uh, young Clark Kent. Is 100%. I don't, know, I don't know if he wrote that, but yeah, he but, is. You know, the, uh, the yeah. scarecrow scene where the young Superman is tied to the scarecrow. He's tortured sort of by his, his and all but classmates. And all so, but stigmated. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm just saying if you yeah. wanted to know if that, that's a thread through the Millar universe. Yeah, I don't know if he wrote it or not. But yeah, but, but yeah there, the first episode of Smallville is... is very, very intentionally, they tie him. They essentially brand. They they brand him. It's yeah. very, very intentionally. We're doing a Christ illusion. Yeah, and on the Man of Steel movie, like, like overtly <laughs> nods to this mm -hmm. all the time. Like he, at one point, I think I've said this on the show before. He's when he's being interrogated in prison. They ask how old he is. He says, "I'm 33," which is how old Jesus was, was when he was yeah. crucified. Right? It's, he's does everything short of stopping and winking at the camera. Yeah. Right? And so well, yeah, it's uh, yeah. That's that's yeah. that's Snyder and yeah. I have feelings on Snyder, but, but yes, <laughs> well, but yeah. So <laughs> I mean, intentionally it's that. definitely a part of Superman. It's a, mm -hmm. and, and the fact that he's created by like Jewish immigrants. I mean, there's inherently a religious kind of messianic um, aspect to him from his creation, even outside of Christ Christendom. Um, and so um, Batman has this really interesting revision. Wonder Woman kind of is the same, except she's been convinced by Superman's greatness that communism is the mm -hmm. way to go, right? And so she becomes her. Costume changes slightly. She has some black and red uh, instead of the gold and blue and all that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, um, but they're fighting alongside in support of the communist cause, right? Uh, and so her figure doesn't change that much because uh, her origin should. And I, and I think he's he's smart enough to realize that he can change Batman. I don't know. You know, there's no good reason for for Bruce to have been born in Russia, but sure, let's just say he was. Yeah. But Wonder Woman's birth predates Clark's arrival or I'm sorry Kal-El's arrival because yeah. he's not Clark in this yeah. um, by millennia yeah. so it doesn't make sense for her to have been yeah and she is also a metaphysical character she is a mm -hmm. god right and mm -hmm. so um, there is a sense in which she's transhistorical then right and, and so whatever happens in the historical world doesn't affect her and so that's interesting enough as well. Now, Green Lantern was my favorite uh, revision <laughs> because he is the alien from Area 51 uh, from Roswell, right, in this story, right? And uh, I thought that was just hilarious. Well, uh, Aventura is, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> yeah, the, the, Hal Jordan's in it, Kyle Rayner's in it, and Guy Gardner. So several of the Green Lanterns are in it. But the, but yeah the the, the green lantern I'm sorry the, the Green Lantern ring is <laughs> um, at some point again spoilers for a book 
but at some point Luthor becomes president and they're like, you know, we've got this thing and they that we've that we found some time ago and they take him to Area 51 and <laughs> it's and Area 51 is the green is Abensur's Green Lantern ship. They're dissecting Abensur and and they haven't figured out how to use the ring yet. So that's that's it- and I am not the the comic book. I mean, I love comics, but I am not nearly as well read as as Mav is. And so I don't know if this is consistent with uh, Green Lantern storylines in the past. But how Jordan, in this case, is he? He's a test pilot. Okay, and it seems to me they were explicitly writing an alternative John McCain story. I feel like yeah, um, that's that's not as heavily influenced. And in, okay, I don't know. So they there is a moment in the book where they explain that. Hal was, I don't even remember which war they said he went down in. but well, ha- And it could be a different one because there's a different presidential secession in America yeah. as well. So yeah. But he, yeah, he is a prisoner of war and he, for, uh, I don't remember, if they, I, they, they say how long, but for years. They, yeah. Essentially the John McCain story. And he keeps himself sane by painstakingly building a concentration camp in his head to torture his tormentors. And yeah. and he does it one step at a time um, mentally. So the, the, the idea is he mentally takes as much time to do every step as it would have taken him to build the camp by himself in real life. So if it take if he estimated that digging a hole would take six hours, he would sit down and he would imagine digging a hole for six hours. So that everything was everything was realistic. This is supposed to illustrate how strong his willpower is and what kept him sane. Because at the same time, the Green Lantern mythology um, requires that the Green Lanterns, in order to wield the wing, you must have superior willpower. Yeah. So this is showing that this is the strongest. A mentally strongest individual they could find. And this is what, 2003, I think this yeah, was? Yeah, I think Back so. when John McCain was still kind of more universally thought of as like a hero, sort of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, John McCain's legacy became more complicated as we got further away from the 2000 election. Um, but <laughs> in 2003, he's still sort of everybody's favorite politician, right? And yeah. so uh, Hal Jordan, I, I can't help but think they were trying to, to do something with the John McCain mythology. There, and so. yeah, and Millar has... If if you read Millar's version of um, both the Authority and and the Ultimates, he has interesting and hard to nail down politics. That, yeah. In in general. Yeah. That he's a big Jeremy Jeremy Corbyn fan right now, and so yeah, but yeah, um, which I mean, yeah, I mean, makes sense when you read this book, I guess. <laughs> so um, yeah, so and. Ultimately, this conference uh, or this con is uh, basically focused on villains. And so Lex Luthor is in this. And he has an entirely different role, though, without Superman as an internal villain um, within America to compete with. He becomes this geopolitical Mm -hmm. competitor, right? And so Lex Luthor's role as villain is much less clear. He's still bad, um, and, and yet he's not traditionally... It what is, you would call a villain, I think. I, I think what's interesting about Red Sun is it is not clear to me who the protagonist is, nor who the nor who the villain, the antagonist is. There is an argument that I think Millar is trying to make that some people are inherently good and some people are inherently evil. 
um, I, I, and having read other things that he's written, I believe he believes that. So I believe that he believes that that he believes Superman has an inherent goodness to him that will always, as as a as a being, Kal El will always try to do the right thing. And that's the case in this story. In this he story. is he is a good superhero. Like he goes yes. to America when he see when he senses trouble in America, he flies to his enemy's um, country and saves people yes. because he just he he is inherently good. He just happens to be. Framing his goodness in communism. It, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and I believe that he believes that Luthor is an inherently evil person, in that he believes that there is inherent badness in his in his very soul. I think I think Millar probably believes basically in Dungeons and Dragons alignments. Like I, I like I like I think that's his. Vi- that's again, and now that I'm thinking about this like out loud, having read other stuff. Yeah, he probably really does. There are there is a very hard line, almost caricaturist morality that various characters across all of his books, uh, and and they're not the same. I mean, they're very diverse. But he, if he has a character that is devoted to an ideology, that character is devoted to that ideology, and I, so I think he he feels that there is this natural good streak within Superman, but he also understands that. In this world, that goodness must be caged in a specific, artificially created political ideology. Yeah. And in this world, Luthor's evil must be caged in a specific, artificially created ideology, that of capitalism or U.S. capitalism versus USSR communism. And he's trying to like sort of work to get work to do the thought experiment of, well. What does that mean? Does the overarching goodness that is the American dream overpower Luthor's evil? And the answer is kinda in the story. And does the overarching evil, and I'm using scare quotes, that is that is the Red Scare overpower Superman's natural goodness? And in some ways, yes, but ultimately, no, is sort of the moral to the story. Yeah. So, like, communism can work. I actually think communism can work anyway. But communism can work, quote, quote, in this story because there is a there is the ultimate moral force of good, a messiah, basically guiding the ship. Which is an inherently un-Marxist idea, right? Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that comes up in which the book. Is a, which is part of the storyline. Yeah. They, they bring yeah. this explicitly up in the book. Um, Peter um, tells him this. I'm like, you're the most like anti-communist person in the world. We don't believe in Superman, right? We yeah. believe in democracy. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and Superman knows this about himself, right? He knows that he can, by his will, um, just force communism on everybody, but he won't do it, right? Um, mm-hmm. He does it in subtle ways. If there are dissent instead of killing them as Stalin did he puts this weird like brain implant thing that makes them kind of weird creepy zombies of I love communism people right and yeah. so um, he, he sort of takes away their free will a little bit I would um, compare it to the, the last time I was on your show we talked about Miracle Man yes which, yes. Uh, which again we only talked about the first half of that series the second half of that series explicitly explores this idea um, is is Mandatory socialism still socialism? Yeah, is, is sort of it's yeah. sort of the que- it's sort of the question that Miracle Man explores in the second and in my opinion better can, half of the series. Can you can you be forced into freedom? Sort yeah, of, right. Yeah, yeah, that's the question. And it's 
Yeah. And honestly, this this show does fit nicely with that. I'm just kind of inherently interested in the question is, is it possible to even conceive of a socialist superhero? Mm -hmm. Because of the nature of superheroes, they are singular people, right? And so, so, yeah, this book like takes up that. So it fits really nicely with our Miracle Man episode. I can't remember the number, but go back in the catalog and find the number. (laughs) It's a a weird philosophical question that, I mean, mean, it's... Can God create a stone that He can't lift? Yes. Right. It, it, um, can Can you demand? Can you in? Can you force someone to have free will? Is almost the question that the stories are. Can you? You know, if they're being forced to be good, if you put a chip in their head, and it's not even a chip; it's a it's a big, massive disc that's bolted to the side of people's it's like face. The, the Bluetooth thing that your uncle Ralph wears still for some reason on his on his you know yeah <laughs> on his head, it's but like, like but bigger, kind it, of, but you know? yeah, it's massive that yeah. they bolt onto the sides of these people's <laughs> face, and then they go around and they smile. So at this point, they are they are being good, but that's that's sort of that's the question that. Um, that's not a line too far for Superman. Whereas um, there are several points in the book where his advisors, once he's in charge of the Soviet Union, particularly a reprogram, Brainiac will say, look, just go take over America. You're Superman. You'll be done in 15 minutes. Yeah. And then we'll have a, a perfect world. Yeah. We'll just just go do it. But he is very much of the opinion, no, if I if I interfere, it is too much. It's it's uh, uh, it's a similar. It's the Batman question that if I don't know uh, if you've ever addressed it on your show, but Batman very much you know has always had the rule that he won't kill anybody. Batman will give you brain damage by <laughs> shoving your head through a wall. You know, there, there's a, it, it, Superman does the same thing. You know, oh, we don't kill, we're heroes. But the you know every time Batman knocks somebody out medically, when you get knocked out. That's a concussion. It's really bad for you. Kids don't try this at home. Yeah. Being knocked out is bad. <laughs> um, but Batman knocks people out left and right. You know, he paralyzes people. He causes untold carnage, but it's okay because he's not killing anybody. This this Superman, the Red Sun Superman, sort of has decided, I'm not forcing anybody to do anything it, and it's not really forcing if I implant a chip in their head. Yeah, yeah. He's got some kind of moral, like... It's a weird uh, ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, I guess we should we need to tell what happens in this. So Lex Luthor becomes president of America. And so when you say capitalism works, it's not really capitalism no, that what he does. it's Luthorian it's, capitalism, it's which is... utterly a planned economy, right? Yeah. And so, but it's just under his genius, like, plan. And so it, America does get revitalized in some obscene... This is one of the exaggerations of the, the comic that make me kind of crazy. In, like, six months, it goes from a, a wasteland <laughs> to utopia, kind of, right? And so... Make America great again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That's what he does. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's a really good there point. Are, actually, yeah. There are many... <laughs> Luthor becomes president. In yeah. in the regular DC universe at one point two, and there are many rather disturbing similarities to things that might have happened in another alternate universe that I unfortunately happen to live in. Um, so yeah, but so he ends up uh, creating this kind of singular island against Superman's communist mm-hmm. utopia. Um, Apparently, and- Chile is also resisting at some point, and then it's not, and the and the book never tells you. There's a one point where Superman's like the last two holdouts to not having our world Soviet Union are Chile and America and they're both falling apart. And then like 30 pages later, it's just the last holdout is America and you don't yeah. find out what happened to Chile. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you get the assumption is that they just agreed, you know, they yeah. just saw how terrible things were. We'll just join you Superman. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so 
but obviously everyone else is a utopia yeah like the that, soviet union is under under superman is a utopia america has obstinately refused yeah there the, america has said no 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 we don't want your utopia we are living in squalor because the, the and it and it makes sense because capitalism works through trade capitalism mm-hmm. as as far as a nation goes if the rest of the world is unwilling to engage in commerce with you there you know there's no there's there's no capitalism without a client to buy and, and that's also interesting because communism really only works in a global vision as well you can't have a local like a singular communist country yeah, and have very, it be successful yeah. right well that was it that also was the flaw international yeah, that communism. was the flaw in the yeah. actual the real life soviet union yeah. communism works really really well for you know four or five people we call that a family it works kind of well for about 10 or 15 people which is a commune and then there's a massive scaling problem when you get to millions of people who cannot support the ideology and can't be enforced in it and some of them are human so are you really <laughs> are you really following marxist pr- principles no they did not <laughs> and, yeah. and it, so it's, it's it's it becomes a very which is another question the book tries to answer yeah the um my quote friends who are very against um socialism and in the modern sense will say well that never works you're just one of those weird academics who believes that that <laughs> socialism will work and this is why college is stupid um I, I i i follow a lot of people on facebook of varying points of the of the of the spectrum because to them communism is very much this demonized thing that they remembered from the 1980s which is really ronald reagan's cartoonish picture of of a demonized thing from the 1950s <laughs> um but that's that's what communism means to them. It's just a red scare. It's people that you call a pinko that is meaningless. But the flaw of communism really was that humans were running it. Superman's not a human, so he really can just believe in this perfect ideology and force it. And this book, by like reversing the polls, makes you ask really interesting questions. I think mm-hmm. that's what's really really great about it um, is that it if you see things from a different ideological perspective, it makes you sort of question those assumptions that you might have about mm-hmm. politics, even. Um, and so, yeah. And so, I think that um, one really important metaphor in the book is Brainiac. At one point, when he was still a bad person, he gets transformed. <laughs> Superman redeems Brainiac as well. We'll get to the religious question in one second, and I do want to leave time for questions. Um, the uh, uh, Brainiac had taken Leningrad, I think, or Petrograd, one of them. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I can't remember which one. And <laughs> shrunken it into the size of a bottle, right? right? And so Superman can't ever solve the problem of this city. So these people are living in shrunken in a shrunken bottle, yeah, basically. It's, it's the city of Kandor, except for instead of Kandor, it is, I want to say Stalingrad, but I don't Remember. It's one of the grads, anyway, yeah. and um, and so super. This is like his one failing. He keeps talking about, and it's really it doesn't come up very often, but he'll come visit the bottle every now and then. He was distracted, and some germ gets in, and like a flea is destroying yeah, the city bug. or something. And uh, and so, um, how Lex Luthor quote unquote defeats Superman is that right at the cusp of him finally um, winning a battle against America that would be decisive, Lex Luthor plants a note that he reads that says. Hey Superman, why don't you just put the whole world in a bottle? Mm-hmm. Okay, and so Superman then realizes what he has done, like that he's been able to uh, uh, maintain this kind of uh, socialist utopia through this kind of control that he's thought he wasn't exercising, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and this is the uh, um, uh, kind of paradox. Then he kind of 
basically gives up, goes off and um, assuming, presumably dies in some kind of weird saving black the, yeah, hole. Saving yeah. the world, <laughs> saving the world from an explosion. He dies. Yeah, uh, although he didn't really. He yeah, just, he, everyone thought he did. He comes back and finally in his secret identity. He's never had a secret identity in this book, and I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. In a, in the Soviet system, there is no distinction between Clark Kent and Superman, unlike the Superman that we know. It's a huge topic philosophically that we didn't even touch on, mm-hmm. sadly, but we only have an hour I, to talk. And so. I, it's the interesting. <laughs> it's actually the most interesting thing about Superman in general, though, has nothing to do with this book. Is is his portrayal of, of yeah. his portrayal of the character of Clark Kent? Yeah, and so um, the Luthors and his, or Luthor and his legacy then takes over the world that Superman had put together, finds a lot of really great ideas. And, and create, turns it into a socialist world. <laughs> and, and, cr- and creates this like utopian society, right? That ultimately, millions of years down the road, becomes Krypton, essentially. And Krypton's about to destroy, be destroyed. And so instead of sending a spaceship out, they send baby Kal-El in a time machine where he lands again in the Ukraine, not in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this... Again, it's the a world, fixed loop. It's a fixed loop, which is a world in a bottle, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you still are running through. It's like Groundhog Day. You're mm-hmm. running through the same narrative again. It's Groundhog Day with no actual out. Yeah, the, I mean, the only out would be to have the ship land in in Kansas. In Kansas, yeah, which is which ultimately is not as good a world. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of post apocalyptic kind of imagery in America at one point in this book, but it's mostly ignored because the book primarily takes place in various parts of Russia. Yeah, yeah, and so that's the interesting thing to me about this book is that in all of its kind of preachiness against putting the world in a bottle, it creates a world Mm -hmm. in a bottle, right? And uh, and I think that that's a really fascinating paradox about this book. Which I think is, that was apparently the suggestion of Grant Morrison, so it's almost entirely intentional. Oh, okay. Almost almost assuredly intentional, I should say, because Grant's weird and likes things like that. And so for all the other paradoxes that this book has about politics, Luthor being a capitalist you know, savior who doesn't actually use capitalism to save. Um, and you know what I'm saying? All the other paradoxes mm-hmm. that we've been talking about, um, there's a religious one as well. As much as Superman is Jesus for the author of this book, mm-hmm. um, ultimately it's against divine intervention, right? It thinks that the the divine intervention is a problem for the world and he has to be expelled for the world to flourish. Right. When divine it, when divine inter- intervention happens, it goes wrong. Yeah. But then that becomes that's what I, what I said before. It's the it's the question of determinism in in Christianity, but any religion that has uh, any religion that recognizes an all-powerful creator has has a, a deterministic question. Yeah. You know, is it free will? Does free will exist if there's a God? No, because God can God can stop you from doing anything he wants to, but he doesn't because he wants you to have free will. But you only have free will because God's allowing you to have free will, which is not free. And that and and, and if that These becomes the, that becomes the same question. It is an unanswerable question yeah. because because there is no way to there is no way to answer that question. I mean, it, to answer that question would be to establish free will, which cannot be established. In the, I mean, it, it it is a philosophical loop. Much like this book, which is why I like religion. Um, actually, <laughs> is that I like those unanswerable questions, right? And so, um, and yeah, so this is a, a really great book. I highly recommend it. Um, we have like five minutes for questions um, from the audience, and I know that one of our students here has just brought to my attention right before we started recording a. Uh, a they're doing this, you say, in uh, Supergirl right now. They're yes. actually picking this up. Why don't you talk a little bit about it? Well, it started like in the season finale of the last season. 
Um, basically, her friends died in a battle, so she had them turn back time a little bit for her, and while that was happening, another version of her was created and landed in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So basically, she still exists, and then she's like living in America and all that, and she's... It basically picked up where she's still like flying around the world and helping, and we don't really, we haven't seen really her yeah. interact with her other self yet, but she will basically, I guess, they'll meet up sometime. But there's another version of her living in the Ukraine right now. Who is bad? You you say they've depicted. Uh, as we don't evil. know. We haven't. We, we, we don't really know it, if she's bad, we, but yeah. It looks like she's kind of bad because we've seen we've seen 15 seconds of the alternate Supergirl basically in. Total. Yeah. It, it was it was the last scene of the last episode of last season. Yeah, like We've had three episodes this season and has not been brought up yet. Okay. Yeah, and like she was like underground and they were like having her punch through like yeah. the but there was like a train station above it, so the other supergirl had to come and save that train. Yeah. Okay, so we don't know yet. So but I would be really interested in following this. I've never seen that show, sadly. Yeah. Like I have children and a job and stuff but yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah that that is a really fascinating um, aspect of this if they make her bad because one of the I think clever things about this book is that Superman retains his goodness mm-hmm. he just happens to be born into a different ideology right based on again the 15 to 20 seconds of the character that we've had I I believe that they are sort of try, they're sort of trying to take aspects of the Red Sun storyline and the dark Supergirl storyline from the comics in 2009, eight, somewhere in there. Uh, I'm actually not as good at recalling comic dates as I am at movie dates. But um, it's there is a there is a storyline wherein Kara essentially gets split into a good self and a bad self. The bad self has a black outfit that is. In, and is even more sexy than the Supergirl <laughs> of the uh, of of that time. She'll actually appear in my talk later. Um, the, oh, there's, there's, cool. a, there's an image of that pic, of that shot. Or no, I ended up not using the blackout. But it, yeah. it is a it is it is a storyline that is dealt with at one point in the comics, and it feels to me like they're they're trying to draw from both. But again, I've only had 20 seconds of storyline because because they've they're making you wait for it. They they haven't yeah, picked it up. Oh, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. They're also doing- this year's Arrowverse crossover is going to be called, called, called Elseworlds. Worlds. And they're going to be in Gotham City, basically, and Arrow and Flash switch roles. So, like, mm-hmm. Barry Allen's the Green Arrow and Oliver Queen's the Flash. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Cool. Did you guys have, um, you guys had offered <laughs> to sit in if I needed to. Do you have any, like, follow up to anything we said? No, I just, I, I remember the first time I read this, and I had heard about it, and it was just, I always assumed that it was going to be this evil Superman story. Mm hmm. And, when I first, and I started reading this, I'm like, this is not at all what this is. It was pitched that way. Everyone yeah. assumed. At the time, I just read it we assumed it was going to be. Yeah. And it's it's definitely one of my favorite uh, Superman stories that I've read. It's just a really cool take on the core aspects of that character mm-hmm. into this new world. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really great. Um, anybody else have any questions for us? Um, we are kind of out of time. Thank you, uh, Mav. Oh, oh, I have a closing. You're know, going to play. Um, thank you, Mav, for uh, uh, joining me today. I really yeah. do appreciate. As always, Mav's always great on my show, and uh, you should be listening to his show. But um, I would really love it if you guys went and subscribed to the show on uh, whatever your podcatcher you use. If you go to Facebook and you give us a like. I don't know if that actually does any good, but it feeds my ego, which is you know that's a good enough reason there. So uh, it makes me think somebody's at least listening. So um, thank you all though for coming. Go enjoy 
enjoy the con. If you're here, if you're listening, come to the con next year. I think you'll have a good time. Uh, for Chris Maverick, this is Danny Anderson signing off for the Sectarian Review Podcast. Mm-hmm.